we're going to be talking about the prayer life of Jesus. Um, one of the things that I think is very important in our discussion on prayer is to just look at how Jesus prayed. Just look at how he approached the subject and then began to look at how the apostles um, walked it out in their lives. Um, we're looking at it this way, not to just say we have to pray like Jesus because we understand revelation. We know that God gives us um, revelation on how to pray, how to make things um, specific to us, specific to our circumstances. So for the sake of religion, um, the prayer life of Jesus is, is literal and it's, it's um, rhema. So we're looking at logos and rhema. And we're looking at how that imparts and changes in the midst of our lives. But when we're talking about prayer, and especially from the perspective that we're doing it in the conservatory, I think it's a safe route to look at the ultimate example that we have, the greatest prophet, the greatest apostle, the greatest evangelist, the greatest pastor, the greatest teacher to ever grace the earth and grace the temples in which the spirit of the Lord is residing in now, which is us, because we are indeed the temple of Holy Spirit. So we want to look at the prayer life of Jesus. And in doing so, we also don't have to look at, oh my God, this is what Isaiah did. Oh my God, this is what Jeremiah did. This We don't have to look at people. We can just keep our eyes on Jesus. And we can kind of walk through. And then after we see the foundations that Jesus set, we can say, okay, how can we build on, on, on this foundation? Because the Bible says that there is no other foundation that can be built on except, you know, what has already been built. So we want to rest on that with understanding that Jesus is the cornerstone. So that is my introduction to this. And that is how I hope to um, present it. So I want you to know also that it has nothing to do with prayer style. I can pray like a, um, a, a butterfly just with my wings fluttering, no voice that anybody can hear per se, but even in that God can hear our prayers. So I'm just going to ask you real quick to help me out in the midst of, of, of this conversation because I can tell you my experience with prayer was crazy when I started learning how to pray. This is when I was um, first introduced to the congregation, well, say, this was a long time ago, but I remember um, one of, the, I used to struggle with that because I was invited to be um, a part of the intercessory team. I had never heard of an intercessory team before. I didn't know what a prayer group was. And I could never find anything about an intercessory team in the scriptures, you know? So I realized that that was a revelation that someone had. So as we talk, please understand that there are revelations. There are things that we've been given over the years that um, are okay. They're not in the Bible, but they're causing no harm, right? So I just want to make sure we understand that. There are no intercessory teams in the Bible. <laughs> there are no prayer warriors in the Bible, but it doesn't mean that the revelation that we have received 
or that the revelation we have not given about prayer is not accurate. But it is important that we know what God, what Jesus established, you know, through the covenant, the new covenant that we have in Christ, we do need to know what is foundational so that when other things come along, we can rightly weigh it. And it's also important for us to really grasp that, you know, that Jesus out of his own mouth said that um, all traditions of men are not bad, you know, but we love anything that puts us at the center and being a prayer warrior does that, right? So, you know, it's, but, but it's the children's bread to be able to pray. It is our portion for all of us. If there is such a thing as a prayer warrior, we should all be prayer warriors. I've heard people teach things like, I was taught things like, um, not everybody is an intercessor. That's a lie. We're all supposed to be some type of intercessor in our lives, even if it's an intercessor for our own family. Even, you know, people, you know, I've taught crazy things. We used to go to church and listen, we'd be wearing combat boots and camouflage as if the presence of clothing and shoes will move anything in the realm of the spirit. Again, it was fun. It caused us to feel like we were a part of something. It brought this, this, this idea of uniformity forth. Listen, we've all done that. Am I saying it's bad? No, I'm not saying that, but there's no power in it. So I hope that we are kind of seeing where this could lead. This is not a condemnation of those that want to wear their combat boots and camouflage and they want to, you know, I was told that in order to be effective in prayer, I needed to swing my arms. I couldn't just pray in place and just sit down. I needed to move my body to pray. I learned later that that was ridiculous. I, movement has nothing to do with being an effective intercessor. It has, you know, but there is power in movement and dance. There is, listen, <laughs> I, I'm just sharing with you because these are the things that we need to uncover and the things that we need to dig into and the things that we need to see that we do that's really extra, as my, as my millennial daughter would say, mama, y'all just so extra. And that's the truth. We do a lot of extra unnecessary stuff in the midst of our, our faith. I was taught that I had to scream and shout. Teresa, you pray too soft and you're not using the words everybody else used in the church to pray. You're not swinging your arms. You're not screaming. You're not, Lord. you're not doing any of those things, Teresa. So you're not a good intercessor. You're not a good, you don't know how to war, Teresa. You don't really know how to pray because you're not doing all of those antics and jumping around and you're not screaming and you're not going in with non-stop breaths in between. So because you're not doing any of that, you don't know how to pray. So, you know, that, that's the world that I grew up in. So if you want to add your insight and, and share some of the things that you have experienced, I want you to go ahead and, and do that because I promise you, all the stuff that we do, Jesus didn't do it. <laughs> the apostles did not do it, you know. And, and so we can, 
say what we want. We can, we can judge people and condemn them all day long. Some of the most powerful prayers ever prayed over my life were one words or, or very soft spoken. Or, you know, they had just as much power, if not more than the screams, the shout and the shooks and the whatever that is, the sweats and the, all of that that people have when they're praying. You know, so we have to get into a place where we are honest before God about our own antics, not just what we have seen, but the stuff that we have, have done because when we look at our, our prayer lives, you know, I, listen, I've seen people in a really anointed environment fall out in the spirit, wake up the next day and commit the sin that they swore they never would do. Then they back at the altar on Sunday. I mean, if you had seen them Sunday morning, you would have thought they would sin no more. I mean, out on the floor for an hour, the pastor's still preaching, they laying on the floor. You know, we have to ask ourselves what is going on because when they got up and swear the devil got them the next day. It doesn't, it, look, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. That's not the world of prayer that Jesus created. Um, we have somebody here that said, I was taught that I had to set the atmosphere before my prayer could be heard. I was taught that as well. I was taught that as well until I learned that in your mature place, you bring the atmosphere with you and all you have to do is open your mouth and he, and he manifests stronger in the presence than he did before. I realized that, um, stirred, that sometimes I won't feel a thing when I pray. There have been times even recently that I've been so distraught and so just, just done with life that I just cried out with God and couldn't even feel him anywhere in the room. So we know, Varuva, we know without a shadow of a doubt that prayer is not predicated on us feeling anything. People go into churches and ministries all the time and they're like, I ain't feel that prayer. Well, that's your problem. You know, that's, that's a you issue <laughs> that you bring the presence. Can you feel the presence of the Lord on the inside of you? Can you sense his spirit, not predicated on what someone else is preaching or teaching, but can you feel the presence of the Lord on the inside of you? Even if no one else in the room is experiencing it, even if it is a three ring circus, full blown, can you still vouch for the presence of the Lord that's on the inside of you? That is what matters. Uh, I've mentioned to you all before that um, a lot of congregations that, that, that you'll see, especially in real strong religious environments, actually operate out of a familiar atmosphere. And they've created a familiar atmosphere that mimics um, the anointing. And many people think it's presence and it's not. And the only way to um, discern whether it is or not is when you know what the real thing is like. When you know how the Lord meets people corporately, not just you individually. When you know that you know that you know that you know that the presence is there. Once you experience the presence of God, 
You'll always know when you're in the midst of a counterfeit when it comes. You really will. You really will. So I want to roll up and see whatever else we have um, here in the chat. Let's see. Can we feel the presence of the Lord? Yes. The internal atmosphere must be set and prayer is a part of that setting. Not the same thing oftentimes. That's a good point. That's a good point. But sometimes the internal atmosphere of us can be so chaotic and so distraught that we still can't sense the presence of the Lord. And I want to make sure that is clear because when you're grieving, when you are, are in a place where life is real hard, you may have sickness in your body, you may not be able to sense an internal atmosphere, but you know, in the, in the sense of your humanity, but your spirit is always at work and God can always intervene in that place on our behalf. But I will say that a lot of us in the congregation today loves, 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 loves to be able to recognize the presence of the Lord. And that's good. We're supposed to want to recognize it. But the thing is, especially when you're a babe and you're learning, especially when you're growing and then when you're still shaking a lot of sin off in your early stages of ministry, you know, sometimes young believers experience the presence of the Lord stronger than many believers do after they've been walking with the Lord for a while. So I love babies because babies can initiate presence without trying, right? So it's, it just depends on the situation and the circumstance. But the idea here is simply that you be immersed. I try not to think about it. I try my best to remain like a child. Sometimes you can just start singing. Sometimes you can just sit in a quiet place and the Lord will just begin to comfort you. There's no time in moments like that because presence becomes everything and you can feel it. We should want to feel it, but we should not base it on feeling alone. So I just want to um, encourage you today because we're going to take baby steps in this teaching. I don't know how far we're going to get but we are going to get there today. I want to quickly just interrupt to give you the schedule. We are having Bible study on Tuesday nights. Our Sunday virtual service will continue. Um, we do have a poem we're going to hear about this morning. So I'm very excited about that. Um, I want to incorporate the arts in some way every Sunday, every Sunday morning that we're together. So if you have a gift, then it can be art. You can have something related to prayer this month because that's what we're going to do. It doesn't have to be just one person. It can be two people or, you know, if we have time, three people, you can interpret a piece of art. You can share a testimony about something you've done in prayer. I'm not looking for anything weird and strange. It needs to be in line with what we're teaching and if you've never shared before, then, um, you know, one of us, one of our leaders will need to see it beforehand because we don't want anybody going off on a tangent or a rabbit trail and disrupt the meeting. So we want to make sure that if you're interested in doing this, let me know, because I do not know all the gifts and talents that are before us. We have storytellers here. We have artists here. We have people who sing. 
I'm probably going to bring in one of the young people in the ministry and have them play for us before the month is over. So you're going to see the, the creativity of God demonstrated. And because this ministry is mostly filled with poets, myself being one of them, you're going to see me do some poetry, spoken word at some point. But I want you to feel like we can incorporate this. And I believe we're in a good place now where the people who are conservators have had enough teaching that they can actually bring what they have to the table with the um, understanding of humility that the Lord wants. So um, definitely I'm looking for you all to do that. So any notices and schedule will always be posted in the Bible study group online. And if you're on our, our text list, which we have locally, you'll be texted you know, about things, maybe two, three texts a week. And if you're on the core list, if I have an emergency or something crazy happening in my life, I'll text those notifications out to you as well. So I just want you to be encouraged in the midst of this. We are meeting. There's no plans to cancel any services this month, but this schedule will be posted inside the um, conservatory group, or you'll always get it on Sunday mornings. I also want to ask, we do need people um, who want to volunteer to post just the announcement on Sunday mornings. If you want to do something like that, please let Dominique or I know. And we'll say, hey, the same thing that I post on um, Sundays or Thursdays, because I'm getting behind on doing that, it would really help if you want to volunteer and just post a message, conservatory meeting on Sunday. You can do that on a Thursday and then post it again on Sunday morning. So literally about 10 minutes of your life posting in two spots. That's all if anybody wants to volunteer for that. But um, you can email Dominique or even now, if you can, you can message her privately. Again, this is the link for announcements and updates. So the prayer life of Jesus. So here we go. Here we go. Let us agree. First, you know, we have to have these points of agreement. I have a lot of scripture for you this morning. I'm excited about it. But first of all, I want us to agree on, on a few things. Jesus Christ is our compass. Jesus is our compass. Jesus is our compass. Jesus is our compass. Jesus is the center of everything. Can we agree on this? Listen, you have to just, I agree. Yes, I agree. We have to understand that Jesus's way is righteous and that there is no way more righteous than Jesus. No way more righteous than Jesus. Paul's way is not more righteous than Jesus. Jeremiah's way is not more righteous than Jesus. Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. In fact, if you read the book of Hebrews, even the way of Moses is not greater than Jesus. And you, we know that because our foundation scripture, one of the pillars we stand on is that Christ is greater than Moses. And that's directly from the book of Hebrews. And we need to be in a place where we agree with that. So no matter how famous the pastor is, no matter how many books they have sold, no matter how much 
greatness is in that writing or that book for any of us, Jesus is always right. Um, we need to understand that the believer's authority is real. We all have authority as believers. And what does that mean? We have authority to tread over serpents and scorpions. We have authority to ask and to pray and to receive. We have authority to declare things. We have a, I mean, we've been given a power and authority in the earth to, to, to live out the life that builds and strengthens the kingdom that Jesus has set before us. We're going to learn more about the believer's authority, but we're, you know, and I'm not, we love Kenneth Hagin's books and I trust and believe a lot of the things with straight revelation that he taught in that regard. So we have to make room for understanding the believer's authority. Now, this is one thing that we need to clear up. There is no special authority. There is no special um, prayer people. You know, we have different graces to accomplish what God has sent us to do. So there are people who have a grace to pray for marriage. They're not special. It's just the grace on their lives to be able to do that. There are people who have a special grace to pray for healing. You know, we should all, we all walk in levels of healing, miracles, signs, and wonders. It's not just for certain people, like the circus teaches it in the church, but there are people with greater graces depending on their particular calling and their particular person. So we have to agree on these kinds of things. And the scripture tells us clearly, 1 Corinthians 12, there is all the same spirit, different manifestations. And all that is is different manifestations of grace, different manifestations of grace. And we have struggled in our own lives sometimes because we just haven't figured out what our grace is, not our calling, but our grace, our grace, you know, to be able, our grace to do our grace. What's my calling? Identify what you're good at. What's your, what comes natural? You know, little things like little teeny weeny things like that. If, if hospitality is something you love, that's probably your grace. I, as, I can stand here and tell you hospitality is not my grace. You know, I can do it. I'm hospitable. I function in it when I need to, but it is definitely not a grace that I hold close or in my heart. I'm not the person that's going to automatically think to, to, I don't know, to do something supernaturally, weirdly kind and, and go to the store and pick out stuff for people. It's just not, I'm, you know, it's just different graces. So we need to be able to be comfortable with that. We need to agree, listen to this, that Jesus's yoke is easy and his burden is light. Oh my goodness. We don't have to jump up and down, turn around three times and touch our neighbor for God to move in the midst of our lives. Those are not requirements for the whole world. That may have been something he told somebody to do by revelation one day that they turned into a whole thing. That could have been just an encounter one evening that the body of Christ may have needed, right? He, would, he may have said, everybody touch and agree. Touch your neighbor and shout, yes. That could have been something God did in a divine moment. 
but it is not something that works all the time because it's not a guarantee, it's not a promise, and it's not what that scripture touching and agreeing is talking about, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean that. We also have to agree that Jesus gave us guarantees. Right now, ever since New Year's, we've been reading our 365 promises. We've been reading those. I printed all of mine out and you'll see that I've circled some of them. Um, and, you know, I'm not reading. I haven't gotten to the last one on the page. I'll read three or four a day and I'm sure this will go on for several months. And it's just an encouragement to you to strengthen you, but it's 365 promises. And we posted the link inside the um, Scribal Conservatory Bible Study Group. But I want you to read this list because this list also lists the prayer guarantees. There are things in here that scripture references, and I want to make sure you guys go and read the scripture references as you're reading these promises. Because even though, you know, we always have, you know, we give our insight on summarizing things, nothing is better than reading the word to make sure that we're getting what Jesus is really saying. So Jesus gave us some prayer guarantees. And I just want to say to you today that those are the guarantees that bring us positive return. It brings us positive return in the realm of the spirit. We have to believe what God has said. And we know that Jesus was the Lord made flesh. And we know that Christ is the new creation. He is the resurrected promise. So everything that he has guaranteed us, we must agree that he is correct. We agree that he's our compass. We agree that Jesus's way is righteous. We agree that we've been given authority. We agree that Jesus's yoke is easy. His burden is light. We agree that Jesus is enough. Father, I thank you that these places of agreement will guide us. I thank you, Father, that those that have been in church a long time Father, that they can lay down things that they have been taught that does not line up with Jesus's position on prayer. Father, things that have caused us to believe that we have to do all this extra stuff, that we have to strive, that we have to scream and shout, that we have to dress a certain way, that we have, I mean, I mean, my God, that we have to roll over, that we have to be like some prophet of old, and that we're looking to other people as our example. But Father, we believe by the power of Holy Spirit who lives in the temple of those who believe on the name Jesus Christ. Lord, we believe that Jesus is enough and we're willing to stand and we're willing to trust in this moment right now that you're going to deconstruct every ungodly thought, every ungodly process, pattern, method, Lord, every ungodly concept that we have exalted above the word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And we cast it down in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the mind of Christ and we thank you for the for wisdom and knowledge and understanding and we just declare father that this is simple 
and that we can just lay down our high places and be simple. If there are quote prayer experts, because I've heard people say things like that, we can lay titles like that down in Jesus name. We thank you that life in the kingdom is one of prayer, that we should always live in presence in Jesus name, in Jesus name. So Father, we just thank you. So I, I want to um, just start with the scripture that I love. It says Psalm 11, one through three, if the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Such a profound scripture. If the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I wanna go and look at that passage for a minute. Again, I have um, so many scriptures pulled up. <laughs> so I just want to read this. Psalm 11, it says, this is David. This is his song. And he's saying, in the Lord, I take refuge and put my trust. How can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? Let's read that over here. Um, we're going to use this other translation on the far, on my far right. It says, my faith shelters my soul continually in Yahweh. Why would you say to me, run away while you can? Fly like a bird to hide in the mountains for safety. Oh my goodness. Let's read this middle one from the New King James. It says, in the Lord, I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, run, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string. They may, that they may shoot secretly at the upright heart. Oh my goodness. He, and I love this because obviously David was in some kind of distress. But he said, how dare you tell me to run because I have a strong foundation. He said, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In other words, if, you're, if you put your trust in the Lord, why would you run and try to get away? Because the foundations or the promises, the guarantees exist to protect you. In other words, David's saying, let us remember the foundation. Let us remember what establishes us. Let us remember what is immovable, unshakable. Let us remember the guarantees. Let us look at what God has promised. When we look at prayer, I'm challenging you conservators, and we know this, I'm not talking to you as if you don't know about prayer. I'm just kind of leading you into what we do in the midst because, you know, when you're a part of a community, you have to understand what that community believes about prayer because if you don't, when you don't get the kind of prayer or the kind of prophetic ministry that you receive, people will curse you. They'll curse your ministry. They'll say, oh, they don't, they're not a praying people. That, but you need to understand for the sake of the conservatory why we posture ourselves the way we do. And it's because we are a ministry of faith that believes the foundation. I believe that I will have what I say. That's why my inner thought life has to be right. I hope you're following though, the, that, that part. You know, so if, if 
I believe that I will have what I say and, and that's a core part of my belief system, then I'm automatically going to pray differently because I understand that prayer begins in my thought life. However, if I am like I was when I was first taught, I didn't believe God was going to keep his promises unless I did X, Y, Z, A, B, C. I had to strive. If I made one mistake, that meant God was going to drop his promises. If I was raised in an environment like that, then I'm always going to pray in a way that causes me to perform. Right? So I want you to know that we believe that prayer begins in our thought life with understanding and embracing and having faith in the foundations. Now, this is what, this is actually what David is saying. I want you, he's not just talking about thought life, but he's talking about everyday life. He said, you gonna tell me to run away while I can? You gonna tell me to get out of the United States while I can? Because we don't know what's coming in the next election or the, we, we, we do this kind of stuff. So then when we posture ourselves to pray, we're praying as people who have forgotten the foundations. Oh my gosh, can you guys, Listen, I, come, I got to tell you this, because what you're thinking, I can listen to how people talk. That's why I don't ask people to pray for me, because I know just by conversation where the mind is. And this is not a place of judgment, but a place of discernment so that I know how to posture myself in people's lives because I have to make sure if they're thinking like that, get out, get out, run, girl, you better go. You know, if they're thinking like that, I can't, they can't rightly pray for me for where I am, right? Because I'm in the middle of this and I'm seeing everything happening but I know what the foundation has spoken so I can hold on to the foundation. If the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In other words, we're powerless without our foundations. We're powerless. Listen, God, when, when people pray without the foundations or they pray in error, I always tell you that the Lord is more concerned with the intent of the heart. He knows that they want the best for you. God understands where we are. That's why there's no condemnation. We're just learning a better way. So even if people pray for you wrong, I have it happen to me all the time. I feel the Lord telling me to pray for you. Can I do that? Sure. Because in my heart, I'm hearing the intention. <laughs> I'm hearing the intention. But if someone asks me, Apostle, I believe God wants me to start praying for you. I'm like, no, I have, I have some intercessors, but I appreciate the thoughtfulness. I really do. I just be honest with people. Now, they'll never speak to me again, some of them. They'll walk away being offended. How dare you not accept the prayer of a prophet? You asked me <laughs> and I told you the truth, right? So the intent of the heart is always going to be 
um, important because I had to learn, especially the position I am today, a lot of people want to be intercessors for you because they want to know your business. And you have to be able to discern the people that I have and that I say are praying for me are people I can tell everything to. So look, if I'm, if I'm doing something, if something's going on, if I need to get you to pray for my marriage or, or I need to be able to trust that they can pray accordingly, right? So that's where I'm going with that. I hope that part brought some clarity. Intention is everything. If people love you, they pray for you from love. If they love you and God honors that, God honors that. He honors it. But this also brings us to the place of understanding the yoke, Christ's yoke is easy and his burden is light. And listen, there isn't a right or wrong way to pray. Now that's crazy. Because sometimes the only thing we can pray is Lord, Jesus. But the scripture tells us plainly that he knows what we're going to um, ask for before we actually utter it because God is listening to the heart, not your words. Lesson number two, the Lord listens to the heart. Oh my goodness. God listens to the heart. Prayer begins in our thought life sometimes, but it could also begin in our heart. So there's not a, it starts first in the mind. No, because see that puts us back into that legalistic religious place where we're ordering things, trying to find a method that works. Because when we don't know how about prayer, then we start looking around for methods and processes and and one, two, three, four steps in order. And oh my God, that's too much work. That's too much work. Jesus never said that. But people do. The way of the old covenant had steps, but grace just requires you immerse yourself. Oh my God. Oh, so simple, really. It's really not that deep, but you have to be really willing to let go of religion. You have to let go of, well, the prophet said, God said this, and you have to be willing to let all of that go and say, okay, if God said it is going to come to pass, I'm going to hold on to his guarantees. Oh my goodness. He said, I will take hold of your hand to keep you from falling. That's a guarantee. If you let him hold your hand, if he's not holding your hand, he can't keep that guarantee for you, which means whatever you're believing God for in that place, you have to posture yourself in obedience in order to receive it. Oh, there's so much, so many variables in prayer. But the point here is to really make sure we understand that if the foundations are destroyed. In other words, he's saying, he's saying, y'all's over here talking about run away while you can, fly away like a bird to hide in the mountains. And David is saying, 
Who are we then if we're gonna run away? Because the foundation speaks something different. The foundation says stand and God is going to protect you. The foundation says you will find shelter on the shadow of his wings. The foundation said I will never forsake the righteous. The foundations are clear. So when I'm praying, I'm praying God's guarantees over my life and I'm changing my mind. I'm moving into a place of faith. I'm moving deeper in my trust. I'm learning what immersion is really about. And I'm learning that if I have the mind of Christ, I don't have to beg God because I believe him. Oh my God, but we'd rather believe a book full of heresy than, believe, than to believe a God that has given us eternal promises and guarantees. Eternal. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's eternal. It's not earthbound. God says, I'm placing you under the shadow of my wings. That's not, that's not a due to this natural life. That's an eternity. From the day you are born until the day you rule and reign with him forever, it's true. God says, I give my spirit an unlimited measure. That never ends. It's forever. Oh my goodness. It's forever. So our foundations of prayer must begin in the places that we are teaching today. Because if they're not in those places, there's no real mind renewal taking place. God is gracious. We have mind renewal. Despite everything, some of us have climbed up through the ashes of bad teaching and we have persevered and come to this truth anyway. <laughs> you know, so, so just know that. But now that you're hearing this, you're able to understand, I can maybe posture myself a little bit different now. The Lord's eternal promises and guarantees are all foundations of prayer. Not just the prayer scriptures, but all of his guarantees are foundations of prayer. I'm gonna say that again. Make that number three. Number one is our thought life. Number two is that God hears us from the heart. Number three is apprehending that all of his promises, all of his promises, all of his guarantees, all that are eternal are foundations of prayer. The mind of Christ is so important in prayer. Because if we don't have the mind of Christ, we're going to be begging. We're going to be looking, going to enemy's camp. And I mean, why? I mean, it's just strange. Strange fire everywhere. But it's been so accepted by us and considered as norm that we're pointing out witches, not realizing the witches and warlocks in our own camp. Son Beelzebub casting out Beelzebub. Oh my God. It's just nuts. 
I'm being extreme there, but I hope the point is conveyed. I hope the point is made. How Jesus taught prayer is our kingdom model. Can we agree? Can we agree before we move forward? Can we agree? Can we agree? Because our agreement is not based on how we're feeling. All agreement is based on God's word. What God said that is eternal and everlasting. Our agreement begins at those foundations of our faith. Teresa, I, I, I know you lost somebody you love, but I promised you I would never leave you or forsake you. Teresa, I, I, I know you're grieving right now, but I'm gonna comfort you right now if you allow me. Teresa, I know that you are disappointed about this situation, about this circumstance, but I have not forsaken you. If the foundations in me be, be destroyed, what can my righteous self do? If I can't believe God, what can my righteous self do? I can't do nothing but beg, not realizing what I've already had. Oh my God. Jesus, help us. Help us. Jesus's prayer life is different than what we see parading around as prayer. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Oh, well, let me go back. <laughs> I don't need to go there. I told y'all I got a lot of scriptures. Hold on. Oh, wow. Oh, this is a mark. Let me see where. Can't remember. I don't want to go there. So I'm going to skip that scripture for now and come back to it. Matthew 16, 24, it says, um, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, as my student, as my um, protege, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests and take up his cross, meaning expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example, not Paul's example not Peter's example. I mean, gosh, we've elevated everybody's prayer life above the prayer life of Jesus. Father, we pray right now that we elevate you above people, that Jesus's prayer life, that Jesus's life, that Jesus's praise, that Jesus's worship, that Jesus' words are elevated above all the prayer experts that we know. All of the self-proclaimed prayer warriors, we declare that you are elevated in us. And follow me, believing in me by conforming to my example in living and if need be in suffering or perhaps in dying. Oh my God. Oh, 
Jesus' example. We just agree that Jesus is the ultimate compass. We just agree that he's the compass for our prayer life. Because some of these people will tell you that you're suffering in your body because of some sin in your life. Now you're going through every bad thing, even asking God to dig up your past and show you what you did to cause what's happening to you now. That's what we're telling people. Go dig up all the dirt you did, but I'm forgiven. I'm saved. I'm renewed. But you must have done something. Go all the way back to before you were saved. The devil is a liar. Oh my God, all of that is under the blood. I will not be digging up all the horrific things I've done for the last 40 years of my life. When Jesus did not tell me to do that. Oh my God, either we believe God or we don't. One of the greatest heresies in the faith today is going back, digging up all the crap that God has already forgiven. Go ahead, leave the room, disown me. I don't care because I will not be pulled into a yoke of bondage in this area again, spending hours going through grandma's sin. Oh my God. Never again. Listen to my teaching on generational curses, please. It's in the Bible. Everything that I'm teaching you is scripture, clear scripture. You don't have to pick it. You don't even need revelation to understand it. Words of God himself. See, there's an elevation today. There's an elevation today. See, without the mind of Christ, people will be, a, all they'll be able to do is look at their past mistakes and believe that God has forgotten them because of something God doesn't re even remember until we bring it up. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> God wasn't even thinking about that till you brought it up. Now Jesus got to get on the cross all over again just so you can feel like you did something today by figuring out what you did 30 years ago that blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that, that is, look, that's not where God is. God is in now. He's in now. He's in now. Oh, now Jesus called the 12 together. Now Jesus called together the 12 disciples and gave them the right to exercise power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Oh my goodness. I, I, I can't wait for you to do a word search on demon. It means not just evil spirits, which is everybody's first choice, it's all forms of darkness, false gods, physical and mental illnesses, fallen angels. That word, that, that's English translation, people. But when you go back and study it and you look at it, look at it, it's anything that, that is darkness, anything that blocks the light of Christ. 
from your life. And when you go back, and if you remember the woman who washed the feet of Jesus, how she was forgiven, we think she had demons cast out, the darkness, her, her low opinion of herself, everything she thought she wasn't, the unworthiness, everything came out of her in that moment. It's not just devils and imps and, and I mean, my God. Is that all Jesus is? Or is he love? He didn't just heal her of her dirt. He healed her heart of her identity. Her value. Oh, God help us. Love covers. Jesus's prayer life operated in the love of God. Not the love of God to help people because sometimes all we see love as is consideration. He had compassion, which meant his love was more than just doing the right thing. His love was, I want her to know her worth. I want her to see herself as beautiful. Now Jesus called together the 12 and he gave them the right to exercise power and authority over everything unlike her, him, them, that was on the inside of them. Oh my God. Jesus wanted to heal her identity, her inner being, his inner being, your inner being. He wants to heal all of you, not just get your devils out. And he's not popping pimples. Religion pops pimples, pulls out blackheads. <laughs> but Jesus, oh my God. Jesus, he goes for the heart every time. Every time. Prayer begins there. Right communion with the Lord begins there. You got Christians fighting over whether prayer is talking to God or whether it's the rabbi Shah. What if it's all of it? What if it begins with the cleansing of the heart and just being able to say, Lord, do you love me? And getting to that place of saying, God, I know you love me. Oh my God. <laughs> Somebody broke. Oh my God, digs out those blackheads with knives and javelins. And <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> I hope y'all okay. I hope y'all okay. We going in. We're going in. Oh my goodness. I can't even remember what I was looking for in Matthew 6, but I'm going to, um, hold on, try to find it. Give me a minute. It was a good passage. We might come back to it later. Yeah, I'll have to come back because I can't remember. Oh, that's still um, Luke 9, but, oh, okay, okay, okay. So we have Matthew 6, and I, I want to just show you how powerful Jesus' prayer life is. I just, let's just read this. 
I want you guys to see this, not just hear me quote a scripture. So here we go. Jesus is talking. Be very careful not to do your good deeds publicly and to be seen by men. Otherwise, you will have no reward prepared and waiting for you with your father who is in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor and do acts of kindness, do not blow a trumpet before you to advertise it as the hypocrites do, like actors acting out a role in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored and recognized and praised by men. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, they already have received their reward. But when you give to the poor and do acts of kindness, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give in complete secrecy so that your charitable acts will be done in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Why is this important? Well, because it's coming up to a very important statement made about prayer. Let's keep going. Also, verse five, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Mm, 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 mm. What does this have to do with this? Also, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray publicly, standing in synagogues. Ooh, that sounds a lot like us, right? These little groups we get together, mean intercessors, them, them mean, look like bulldogs ready to rip you apart. I'm, I'm just being serious because this is what it looked like to me. For they love to pray publicly standing in the synagogues and on the, they love to pray. I want you to hear that. They love to act. They love the roles. They love to look the part. They love to be seen. They love, uh, y'all got you. <laughs> oh my God. Jesus is rebuking the prayer warriors. These are the people that say, y'all don't know how to pray. So we're going to bring our group together and show you. This, look, a lot of that goes on in churches. <laughs> I want you to see what God, I want you to see this. This is Jesus at the same problem. Oh my God. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, they already have their reward. In other words, you get the you the show, you the ringleader, you the acrobat. Look, y'all, y'all, y'all getting everything you want in this moment right now. You are receiving everything you really want. Accolades, you got everybody in town calling you for prayer. You, you, you got your, your um, philosophies big where you carrying them giant Bibles, your robes dripping. I mean, you, this is what Jesus is saying. Go on and suck it out now because you ain't getting nothing on that day when you come before me. I got nothing for you. This is what Jesus is saying. Can you guys see this? I'm not making this up. <laughs> Oh my God. But look, so we talked earlier about all the, the combat boots and smoke and mirrors and the warfare music, you know, now I believe in that music part. Oh my gosh. But all this other stuff. Oh, I, I'm not so sure. But when you pray, then he says, but when you pray, go into your most private room. Close the door 
and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I love that song. Come on in my room. You know, it, I love that song. I love it. Because it's the truth. Jesus is my doctor. I mean, that's it. He writes out all of my scriptures in the room. We know that song. That's the song. Oh my God, listen to this. <laughs> he, Jesus is going in. Oh my God, he's going in. And then he says, and when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. So do not be like them, praying as they do. For your father knows what you need before you even ask. Oh my God. This is why I love praying in the spirit. Whatever you need. I love it when Holy Spirit is interceding for me. When I release myself to prophetic prayer. Then they ask him, now, now this, this is what I want you to see. We're going to have to stop because I'm going on too long. We're not nearly where we need to be, but I've got to stop and we'll pick up here next week. But I want you to see right here, this whole conversation began with humility. It began with brokenness. It began with the thought life. Oh, how you thinking? He dealt with the mind. He dealt with the heart. He never said, figure out which court you're going to go to. He never said, petition me in that way. He never said any of that. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. He never said you got to prepare yourself like this. He never said the devil is a coming against you. He, he never, it, oh, my God. This is the largest discourse on prayer that Jesus gave. He never talked about the devil. He never talked about hindrances in the sense of you're not worthy. He just humble yourself. He never mentioned the courtroom because Jesus understood that he was the judge and that he was put in a position to be able to fulfill every accusation against us. Mm. there was no throne of grace in that sense 
because Jesus knew that he would be dwelling within us and we would be dwelling in him, that he was already sitting on the right hand of the father and that if we're in him and he's in us, we're right there too. So the concept of the throne of grace that men have sketched out in the world is not the one that Jesus was speaking of. Oh my God. He said, and when you do pray, you don't have to use all them words. You don't have to uh, go that list and be very specific because I already know what you need before you ask. I know what you really need. So do not be like them praying as they do for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. And the first example of prayer that he gave was corporate. It wasn't even individual. They're like, how we pray, Jesus? How we pray? They probably expected him to say, I want you to pray for yourself like this. Me, 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 me. He didn't say that. He said, you pray like this. Our, we, us. Oh my God. In other words, you humble yourself because it ain't all about you. I know you're going through, but just just pray for the whole body because everybody in this situation. (laughs) I mean, Jesus's wisdom blows me away. All that's packed here by observation. And in light of how he lived out his own prayer life, he never convened an intercessor routine. Go cuss me out now. Because <laughs> that's, a, that's a cow for some people. He said, if you pray this, everything is in this prayer right here. Not going to read it. You can read it yourself. Then he says his only prerequisite was this. Now, remind you, he's given all of these lessons. And then he gets to this part and he says, listen, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Then he says, for if you forgive others, their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, your heavenly father will also forgive you. He dealt with every old covenant stranglehold, stronghold, every new covenant act of works in verses one through 18. And the only thing he asked us to do to access it is to walk in love. Forgiveness is just another word for love for walking in immersive love. For if you forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, your heavenly father will also forgive you. And all he said was, but if you do not forgive others and you nurture your hurt and you nurture your anger, then your father will not forgive your trespasses. And it's not because of the act of unforgiveness. It's because your heart is not able to contain love. 
Oh my goodness. Are you guys hearing? God is love. And what hinders us is anything that blocks it. It blocks his ability to comfort us. It blocks his ability to get our mind into the mind of Christ. It blocks our ability for a clear streamline of his promises and guarantees. It prevents us from coming through the only way, which is Christ. Some of this stuff that we do is our own way. It's our own way. It's grandmama's way. It's, it's um, pastor such and such's way. But all Jesus asked us to do was come in love, come in humility, come in your brokenness, come without showing off, leave the circus in the backyard somewhere. That, that he, he basically told him, get rid of your circus acts. Stop trying to be a showboat. Pray for everybody. And be in a place of forgiveness and love. That's the foundations. And it's simple. And then he has, listen, that Jesus is funny. Because then he starts talking about fasting. <laughs> Look, why in the world would he say this? We need to start asking questions. He said, and whenever you are fasting, do not look gloomy. Some people look like they on a murder spree when they fasting. They be all dried up and sickly. I mean, my God, hangry. Hangry. He didn't look, Jesus, it's hilarious. And he's being very hard, but he's sharing it in love. He's like, don't, don't put on these fronts. Everybody don't need to know you fasting. Can you just fast? All on Facebook telling everybody, I mean, my God. Not only do we pray in secret, but we fast in secret. <laughs> Y'all, look, I, I, foundations are simple. Foundations aren't meant to be complicated. But when the foundations are right, let, let me just read this part. So he talked about prayer in secret, but listen to this. But when you fast, put some oil on your head. What? Oh my God. <laughs> so that your fasting will not be noticed by people. Y'all got to stop. I want to throw my shoe. <laughs> this is Jesus. Oh my God. But your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, some stuff is just between you and God. Jesus is a, I mean, he was showing out. But we get mad when folks tell us to put on some chapstick. And to, um, you know, I mean, he, he's just plain and simple. You too hard. Y'all don't know about Jesus. This was not a gentle message. Not a gentle message. The same stuff we deal with today, he dealt with then. 
but you can look at all of this and really the whole thing as foundation. Oh my God, look at this. Ugh, wish we had time today. But there is just so much here. So much here. So we're basically looking at foundations of prayer. Just the bare bones. What's on the bones before you attach the um, sinews? What's there? What, what, does, what did Jesus' prayer life look like? Not Isaiah's prayer life, because they were human in the human condition. They were prophets, but they weren't the perfected Jesus. They weren't Jesus who was man, but did not sin, who experienced the things of the world, but did not succumb to them like we did. So we have the perfect example. Johnny Mercer said, there's one greater who is coming. And that is Jesus. I'm like the prophet. No, you're like the prophet Jesus. I'm like the apostle. No, you're like the apostle Jesus. I'm like the evangelist. No, you're like the evangelist Jesus. They're his gifts that he gave. How can a modern day prophet be like Jeremiah? They can if they study Jeremiah, but if they study Jesus, if we familiarize ourselves with the cross, if, 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 oh my God, Father, we just thank you for, for just redefining some things concerning prayer for us today at the foundations. We look to you, Lord. I know we laughed a lot and I know we made jokes, but it was not to mock people. I'm laughing at Jesus and how he handled certain situations. We see the seriousness of it, but we also get a glimpse into Jesus's personality. We get to see how he dealt with people. He didn't name anybody. He literally was talking to the circus of his day. And he was dealing with their sacred cows and he was dealing with their religion that they kept trying to drag from the old covenant into the new covenant. He was like, we don't do things like that anymore. I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Oh my goodness. Jesus's prayer foundations were not ambiguous. They were not strange and they were not yoke filled. This is a yoke and the yoke represents um, the law. It represents the rules and regulations. It represents the priests that had to do the blood walks and burn the offerings. It represents all of that. It represents the striving that people had to do. It represented all of the acts that had to take place just to get God to forgive you or to hear you. Jesus literally came to do away with all of those prerequisites. All we need is a righteous, holy life. In the conservatory, we elevate Christ over people. We place Jesus at the center of everything. We look at his patterns, his intention. Why did Jesus say what he said? Why did he teach prayer? 
And when you look at some of these things that people teach, they add burdens to the people, just like the Pharisees did. That is all I'm saying. This is not about attacking a person. It's doing what the Bible tells us to do. And it's declaring what I've already told you. Paul and a lot of the other apostles and Jesus, they all said things like, never forget what I have taught you. Many people will come along and they'll try to pull you into different teachings. And all I can tell you is this, to put what I've shared you to the test. Fast from all of those prophecies and prophetic lists and words. Pour yourself into the words of Jesus, the works of Jesus. Give yourself 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Listen to some of this that I've taught you. Watch Holy Spirit open your eyes without anyone else having to tell you anything. Trust that the Spirit of the Lord, even if you don't want to listen to any more messages you hear in the conservatory, just shut everything off. And just say, Lord, I lay everything that I have learned down for the last 15, 20, 30, 40 years that did not line up with your word. I give myself permission to let it go in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I give the spirit of the Lord living on the inside of me who I can speak to at will at any time. There's no more veil preventing me from accessing you. I am a son. I don't have to go on behalf of myself anymore, except by repentance, except by conviction, because Christ is my intercessor. He is the intercessor we've all been waiting for. And he sits on the right hand of the father and your word says the greatest intercessor whoever lives prays day and night and because he's in me and because i can enter into agreement and intercession with him i can pray our father i can ask anything in his name meaning in the reality of who he is in the understanding of what he has accomplished and it will be done for me. I can do this because as a believer, I've been given access without hindrance. Your word says, God, that everything I need for life and godliness is on the inside of me. That's the natural realm and that is the spirit. Your word says that. These are not the words of people, but of the greatest intercessor to ever live. Everything that I need, inspired by his apostles. I assure, I believe it, God, and I receive it in Jesus' name. Father, I decree and declare that there are no yokes about my neck anymore. I will not allow people to tell me I need extra steps to do anything, that I need magic, that I need a wand, that I need another spell, I need another incantation. Pray like this and pray like that. And I'm looking for witches and warlocks on the outside, not realizing the magic tricks that are hold, I'm holding in my hand. Forgive me, Lord, for not believing you, for not trusting your word, 
for calling everybody else a witch and not being able to look in the mirror at myself. Father, forgive me for practicing outside of what you have ordained for me. Father, I embrace revelation, but Lord, revelation scripturally is the revealing of Christ. Not the revealing of I sense this and I sense that. Revelation is the revealing of Christ in, through, on behalf of, and for us. That is all revelation is. The revelation of the circus is something else. We're asking for purified revelation in Jesus' name. We want the revealing of Christ to take place on the inside of us. His mind, his will, his emotions, his intention in Jesus' name. Father, strip away everything, every imprint, every fingerprint that men have laid upon us in Jesus' name. Their intentions were right. Their heart was in the right place. And God, I thank you that you look at our hearts and you knew our hearts were for you, even though our minds were in a mess. But your word says, Lord, that to whom much is given, much is required. And as clarity comes, we are responsible for the newness because you came that we might have life and have it abundantly. You came, Father, you declared that we would never allow anyone to pull us again into the yokes of bondage. So we declare this day, God, that we receive what is liberating. Not to go and point and tell people they wrong, but for us to say, God, I want to be immersed. I want to understand the better way because I'm tired. I've been fasting for 30 days and ain't nothing has changed. I want my mind changed to understand that I can fast for a day just to clear my mind so that I can hear you, Lord, so that I can break bad habits and loose myself from the way of this world. But by faith, God, and by belief, I already know because you promised me that I will have what I say. You already promised me that I'm a son. And, and if I ask what you desire of me, if I pray your word back, your guarantees and your promises, and I do it with the mustard seed of faith, you already there jumping on it, ready to answer. I thank you, Father that you're showing me what you agree with and that I should fall and pray on your side of agreement. And Father, that I understand that things that I want, that I desire, that I long for, that may not be a part of your guarantees, that you can pick and choose of, of what it is of those things that are best for me. I trust that you know what's best for me, God, because your word says, Lord, that you would never withhold anything good from those you love. That's your word. That's an eternal promise and an eternal guarantee. So if it's not happening for me, there must be something in there that I don't see. So Holy Spirit, I give you permission to work on my behalf and cause me to be content with wherever I am in Jesus' name. 
wherever I find myself, whether the oasis or the desert, I know that you are with me. I don't claim cave season, not in the new covenant. I'm not in a cave, I'm in a transition. I'm in a space of learning. I'm in a place of being taught of the Lord. You don't leave us in caves. You can't because you're living on the inside of us, Lord God. So wherever I go, you are already there. And you already said, you know what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. Lord, change my mind. Because I have the mind of Christ in Jesus' name. Lord, I just trust you. I trust that you know better than me. I trust that you know further than me. I know that you reach farther than I ever could. I recognize my limitation, God. So that means I just need to find a way to let go. Teach me to let go. Teach me to be. Teach my inner man to really live in a place of trust. I want to be immersed. Teach my eyes not to look at things I don't need to be looking at. Teach my heart not to wonder. God, I want to pray like a child. I don't want to beg like a pauper. I don't want to ask for the crumbs from the table of the king. When you've already said you have placed a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Why am I acting like the woman begging for crumbs? I want to be able to hear the word, take up your bed and walk, and I just do it. I don't need to know why. I don't need to worry about why it didn't happen 38 years ago. I just need to say, my God, I can walk today. Oh, I'm going to go skiing. I'm going to ride bikes. I'm a That's what I need to be doing. How can I move forward? Oh my God, give us a new realm of understanding prayer. We appreciate the systems that are working among us, but we pray, Father, that we are open to more, to greater. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen.